Welcome to an NFL Draft edition of this Texas Sports Nation Texans podcast. I'm Brooks Gavina. You can reach me at BKUBENA. And we're joined in again with Houston Chronicle columnist Brian T. Smith. You can find him at Cron Brian Smith. And we're just a few days away from the start of the NFL Draft, which will be in Las Vegas. And as the Texans, as you might have heard, have the number three and 13 overall pick. I'm just getting a lot of memories here as we're going into this because there's just tons of stories out there about what the order will be. A lot of talk about who number three might be. The Texans drafting high up there again after uh, another four-win season. And I'm, and Brian, I'm just remembering there, there there have been a few times when the Texans have had the number one overall pick. And I think of this every year. Um, I think about you wrote a column about this over the weekend about the NFL draft and uh, how how the Texans make their decisions. And Greg Rajon did a, a story about the best first round picks, ranked them from top to bottom. And uh, I always think about Mario Williams back in 2005. Um, I was with my dad. We were talking about everybody thought it was going to be either Vince Young, Reggie Bush, somebody. And we were we were at a Bucks pizza on El Dorado Boulevard. And I was like 11, 12 years old. And, and all of a sudden, the dude behind the counter is the one who broke the news to us. Oh, they're picking Mario Williams. and we looked at each other like, who? And that was one of the surprises. That's what I think of every year when we get to this. And it seems relevant because I'm thinking about there's got to be a kid somewhere in Jacksonville or Detroit that's thinking, oh, we're going to get this player. You know, I think maybe even in Detroit, they're like, oh, Hayden Hutchinson. I grew up watching him in Michigan. That'd be the Vince Young kind of relation. Uh, but there really isn't all that much of a consensus, is there, Brian? No, there, there's not, and there's really no buzz for this draft. I mean, let's just be honest. We're, we're talking about it locally um, because the Texans have number three, and if they draft somebody that the fans instantly believe in, that'll be exciting. And it, in some ways, it feels like 13 c- could be, um, you know, whether they, they they trade up or they, they you know, take a wide receiver, that that could be the more exciting pick. But look, the NFL comes down to offensive players in, in terms of buzz normally. Uh, unless there's just this defensive star like Clowney theoretically wasn't 14 and he obviously had question marks uh, and really the quarterback position. And and we might see quarterbacks. You might see three quarterbacks taken in the first 15 picks. You might have to go to 20, you know, because we're relying on the mocks. We're relying on, uh, you know, professional analysts who in many ways guess more than ever uh, because teams really don't leak like they used to just four or five years ago because it's become such a science. It's such a business. The mock world is such a business now the last thing a team's going to do is is tell you who they're going to take two or three days before so there's there's no big name at the top of this draft it's just going to be the overall excitement of the draft which is which is an incredible thing on draft night that's gotten bigger and bigger i go back to what was at nashville a couple years ago and i mean that entire city was taken over uh the draft is bigger than ever there's just not a big name in this draft so you know I if I'm in Jacksonville or if I'm uh Detroit or even Houston you're gonna kind of end up with who you end up with and then you're gonna you're gonna see who that player becomes but I don't think there's anybody out there who's like oh my gosh we don't take Aiden Hutchinson we've you know ruined our franchise for the next 10 years you could easily argue that Walker or one of the tackles, uh, you know, and, and we're, we're seeing this. We're, we're seeing that the betting lines are moving to all of a sudden now on Monday, it looks like Walker is going to be the number one overall pick and Jacksonville acknowledged heading into the weekend. It's down to four players. 
Nobody has a feel for who's going number one, which makes it even more interesting for the Texans at number three. Right. Shad Khan, um, he was talking to Albert Breers in their Monday morning quarterback, and he was saying that on Wednesday they're going to meet together, him, Trent Baalke, and they're going to make their decision on Wednesday. Having just added uh, Doug Peterson to the coaching staff, he's part of that as well. And, I mean, if there's one thing that the Jaguars have been, it's – they've represented dysfunction in ways that even the Texans in the past five years have not reached. And a lot of that has to do with who's been hired over there and being a a GM, being a coach, you know, last year it was a little bit simpler for the Jaguars. They had that stud pick that you mentioned is kind of lacking in this draft, Trevor Lawrence going number one overall. So they, they could go in many different directions, which uh, would ultimately leave the Texans making their choice at number three after that. But I think the most interesting thing about this draft it's deep in places, but whenever we look back at this draft after a couple of years, it's going to be looking at three teams, basically. The Texans, the Jets, the Giants. I've never seen a draft where there were three teams who had two picks within the top 13, and they're all kind of in the same boat. I mean, the Texans might be a little worse off in their roster as the other teams, but recently new hired coaches, um, rebuilding franchises, uh, two have found their quarterbacks, and the Texans We'll see how how Davis Mills is. So they're a little bit. They're not looking for quarterbacks in this draft. At least um, that's what they claim. We'll see how they're able to stack up the depth that comes in between one and thirteen. And I still think I've, I've picked this since the beginning of the mock drafts. I think the Texans go offensive line. Um, I, I do think the Jaguars are probably going to take one of the best pass rushers. It's, it seems like Trayvon Walker I picked him in every single mock draft. He seems like the guy. You look at. Uh, Balky's history. Um, I'm not the first to say it, but you know he has historically leaned towards that freakish athlete over who people might say was the consensus number one in a long time. It's been Aiden Hutchinson. But if Hutchinson goes number two, the Texans would have their choice of offensive linemen. And Ika McQuanu makes a ton of sense, not just because of how good he is as an offensive lineman, but also you look at how Casario talks about character and culture, and he fits all those things. When you talk to him and you listen to him, you look at what he's done throughout his college career, some of his background, some of his focus, um, and his best quality sometimes, uh, some might say, is, is his run blocking. I mean, he pancaked over 140 people throughout his three-year career at North Carolina State. And, and Brian, one of the things I think was interesting last week when Casario was talking to us was um, you know, you kind of have to piece together. They don't name people specifically because they don't want people to know exactly who they're talking about. But you can make it pretty clear. Um, you know, we asked him about versatility in players and really tailored the question towards Ika McQuana, who could play offensive guard as well. He had uh, four starts at that as a sophomore at North Carolina State. And what Nick Casario said that was interesting to me is like, you may look on your face, may say, OK, you might be able to play uh, versatility for you. Um, but you got to look at the college tape, see if it translates to what they do in the offensive scheme. People in Texas would remember a name like Tim Beck. He was offensive coordinator with Texas for a couple of years. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator at North Carolina State with the Quanu. And it's a spread scheme that uses a lot of zone running schemes. And basically, you've seen that. Y'all remember that from the Kubiak years. It suits Aquanu's skills because it's basically getting him out in space, rolling him out, sweeping out, finding a defender to go and pancake again and it's basically tailored to some of his strengths there but when you look at pep hamilton the offense that he's going to run look at george warhop the new offensive line coach 
they have a history more of power run schemes. And you saw a little bit of that last year. A lot of double teams, a lot of head-to-head contact. But also you can pull guards. I mean, we saw Justin McCray do that a lot last year. I think that could still work with a guy like Aquanu, but it doesn't necessarily translate as easily. That doesn't mean I don't think they'll still take him or that they consider putting him at guard. But it's not as easy as you might just see it on its face. So at three, that's where I think they go. Brian, if you had the three pick, where where do you think one, two go? And where would you go if the, you were the Texans? Uh, well, I'm not Jacksonville. I'm not Detroit. So I'm going to be guessing like everyone else in America right now. Uh, let's, let's have fun. Jacksonville, number one, Trevon Walker. Detroit, number two, Aiden Hutchinson. That would leave the Texans taking one of two tackles. It feels like it's going to be Mr. Pancake out of North Carolina State. Uh, I'm interested to see how Nick Casario in that entire front office views Evan Neal. I mean, you know, he's played in much bigger games. He has the size. Um, it does, you know, there's this, there's this theory that Alabama players sort of get burned out of Alabama because the competition's so high. And then, and you know, there's been some theory for a while about, you know, linemen and injuries because, you know, they're taking so much hard contact. You're not going to take at a lesser school et cetera, et cetera. If Evan Neal is the real deal, it's not going to matter. Uh, but it, it does seem, if you're going off of the theoretical board, Walker, Hutchinson, I think Hutchinson's an interesting story because it felt like forever he was number one and Walker has really started to push forward, whereas a month ago it felt like Walker might be there at number three for the Texans. So I, I will go let's start calling Mr. Pancake out of North Carolina State, but if Evan Neal's sitting there, that's a debate that we'll have the entire offseason, the entire summer, next couple of years, and then all of a sudden, if you take whichever offensive lineman, if you take that, that really opens you up at number 13, whether they trade up, uh, whether you stay at 13. But there are, there are going to be names at 13, and not that you would do offense, defense, but you could easily take the best offensive, pl- you know, take the best offensive player. Maybe there's a, a cornerback, a uh, defensive back sitting there at 13. Maybe you go offense, offense, and you're looking at your line and the wide receiver position. But that's that's what's going to make it so interesting for the Texans is for a team that needs so much and really needs young, you know, prime athletic talent. They're going to have the opportunity to fill two huge spots for the next five to 10 years before you even get to pick 14 in this draft. Right. So it seems like we both have a consensus that they go offensive line, which means all the people watching at the Miller Outdoor Theater at the Texans draft party will be thrilled about the big offensive production player that comes in like a quarterback or a wide receiver or something. I mean, it's it's a need. I mean, and we've talked about this a lot. Um, and part of the reason why I think there's not as much conversation around this draft is, you know, it's it's not a sexy pick, but it's definitely one that they'll need. And funny enough, since bringing up the Miller Outdoor Theater. I think about talking to Kwanu. He um, had a background in um, theater as a kid, musical theater. So he'll be on stage and he'll probably have a chance to talk to some of the fans out there. So who knows if they'll drag him out there for some promotional singing contribution. Who knows? But I think at 13, definitely, um, there's a name that keeps getting floated out. I've seen it with a couple of publications that it, it depends obviously how it shakes out, but uh, I think the Texans could go wide receiver. Um, I mean, this is clearly a draft where we talked about it last week. You brought it up too. This is a spot where the Texans need to go best o- available. Um, you know, they're, they've got so many needs across so many boards uh, across their depth chart that they just need to find whoever's the best. And I, I think it's 
I think it's also um, interesting since, uh, you know, the 49ers, Debo Samuel has been asking for a trade. There's been a lot of talk about whether the Texans should be involved with it, would be involved with it. And it seems like the price is really high for Debo Samuel. It seems the numbers keep coming up as two first round picks, basically this one and next year. And that's the kind of trade the Texans made to get Deshaun Watson in the building at first. And do you think that Debo Samuels is worth that? I, I mean, I, I not as not in terms as a quarterback to me. I just don't think that who knows why Debo Samuels actually upset about being with the 49ers. I mean, maybe it's a little bit because he's being uh, used too much at uh, too little payment. But I mean, since he was a running back with them a little bit last year, the Texans still only have Marlon Mack and Rex Burkhead. So if he comes to the Texans, he's going to be expected to do what he does best. And they'd probably have to shell out some cash for him. And they've got more money in the pile uh, starting next year. So maybe that would fit. But Brian, when you look at any possibilities of trying to go for Debo Samuels, I mean, it seems like they need to hold on to their picks. Or do you think he's the kind of player that fits into what they need right now? I think it's a combination of both. Number one, they need to draft smartly and wisely. But as I think we discussed this last week, they have a ton of picks. I mean, they, they, they're almost like the Rockets in terms of picks. And it's not just this year, obviously. It's next year and next year. And that comes into Deshaun Watson. At, at some point, I wrote this last week, and I believe it as much as I did last week. At some point, Nick Casario is going to have to pull the trigger on a couple big trades. And, you know, I, go find me a team that is completely built through the draft and won the Super Bowl in recent years in the NFL. It, it, it just doesn't happen. Kansas City moved up from Mahomes. Kansas City also made huge deals and they had missteps and they went from Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes initially was a question mark. They had big free agent signings, big drafts, you know, that can't just Kansas City become that defense without Tyron Matthew. No, they didn't draft Tyron Matthew. So it's it's a it's a combination, obviously, in the NFL. So if you're the Texans and you were just overloaded with picks, it comes down to timing. And that's what Kansas City did so well. That's what the Rams did so well, even with all their missteps. They went for it a few times. And the Rams, you know, I, I almost feel like the Texans are the anomaly right now in that the way that we're discussing the Texans is they're going to build all this together. And they're going to this isn't a baseball team. This isn't a basketball team. This is the NFL. And the NFL, it's almost always pieced together through multiple ways. I know Nick Casario knows that. Patriots did that. The, the Patriots didn't build everything that they draft. In many ways, the Patriots have drafted very poorly in the last five to ten years. They got one pick right, you know, almost in the seventh round more than two decades ago. Tom Brady, and that was, combined with Bill Belichick, that was the Patriots dynasty with everything else put together. So if you're the Texans, it's probably not going to be Debo Samuel. I I, I agree I wouldn't give up the farm for Debo Samuel right now. And if I'm sitting at 13 and I know that Debo Samuel maybe gets me one more win next year, two more wins, I'm not giving up 13. But at some point, relatively soon, Nick Casario will have to make a trade like that. What he'll have to balance out with 13 is, you know, if there's a wide receiver sitting there, and this is where I think it's interesting. I saw Peter King uh, alluded to this earlier. Are you trading up? If, if you're at 13 and you're sitting on a billion picks in the next two to three years, first rounders, you're not going to be very good. So your first, you know, you're going to be back at number three, number four, number two, number one, number five next year. If there's a wide receiver sitting there at 10 or 11 or 12, because if, if, if you trade up at one, two or three, yeah, you're giving away multiple first round picks. If you're at 13, what's it take to go from 13 
to 11, 13 to 10 on, on some level, not quarterback wise, but on some level, that's what the Texans did for Watson. That's what the chiefs did for Mahomes. That's where I think it would get interesting. You know, do they stay at 13 and somebody falls to them and they're like, Oh my gosh, we got uh, Mr. Pancake and we got Evan Neal and we got exactly what we wanted at 13. Or does Casario with the stockpile of future picks say, Hey, you know what? Let's jump from 13 to 11 and get the player that's, that just electrifies our draft board. And then the fan base would, would, you know, would have something serious to get excited about. Yeah. And that would be in that range at 10. It seems like that would be the first wide receiver would be Garrett Wilson out of Ohio state. Um, I mean, at that point, I do think that this draft is deep at wide receiver in some, some stances. I mean, if, if Drake London's still available, if Jamison Williams is still available, I don't know if you want to part with too many picks just to pick Garrett Wilson, unless they feel like he's far and you know head and shoulders over the others. I mean, obviously, Jamison Williams gives you um, some pause because he tore his ACL in the national championship game back in January, and he may not play and be available this year. But uh, I, it was another one of those things that Casario alluded to but didn't name specifically, talking about injured players in this draft. And I, and I think it's pretty easy to look at Jamison Williams as being one of the, one of the players he was talking about. I mean, in in that sense, um, you know, he said that you know you have to be conscious about someone who may not be able to play for you this year, uh, but uh, they they have to be okay with that. Are you are you comfortable with that? He said, and you might be. You know, what what's the draft capital you have to allocate to that particular player? Is what he said. So he and part of it too is like his job's to worry about this year, but. It's his job to worry about the long-term position of the franchise and put them in the best position possible. That kind of rhetoric spoke to me as like, okay, he might be okay with picking Jamison Williams. And if you have to pick from 13 to 10 to pick a wide receiver, I think it's deep enough to wait on it and be able to pick out of that uh, depth of receivers because I just don't think they're going to be going at 1 to 10. I, I think they're still needing a, a, a stud cornerback on this team. It was their biggest need before – uh, they acquired Steven Nelson in free agency, who had been a perennial starter for three different teams and played in a lot of playoff games. Uh, but he was the number two corner for the Philadelphia Eagles. He'd be the number one here immediately, and then pairing him with Desmond King, probably maybe Lonnie Johnson takes his steps. They still need to solidify that position. And if they trade up, I think there are probably two guys that I think they might go for if it's at 10. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau seems to continue to be dropping. Um, there are some that are starting to have him go at uh, within the top five, if you look at some draft analysts. But from the beginning, I've been confused a little bit about why Thibodeau's been questioning about his work ethic and such. Last year, he dealt with an ankle injury. Uh, I think it hurt a little bit more than people knew. Um, his his grading, his, his athleticism, his talent is secure. I think everybody knows that. And I thought what was interesting, you know, uh, Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated wrote a a story about Kayvon Thibodeau too. And in it, Mario Cristobal, the head coach of the Oregon Ducks, no evaluator who has written any of these stories has reached out to him or any NFL team evaluator has reached out to him about Thibodeau. So all these questions about his work ethic and such, I mean, I know that Mario Cristobal would be a little bit more uh, lenient towards saying, eh, you know, Thibodeau is better than you're saying, but he might have an answer to some of the questions they might have. All that being said, I think, I think he's a better talent than uh, a number 10 overall. And I think the Texans might value that too. If you're going to trade up for anybody, I think that might be it. Or if they're so uh, desperate, still a cornerback that say for some reason, sauce Gardner, who I don't think will drop to top 10, but even Derek Stingley, 
who starts to get into that 10, 11, 12 range. I mean, you know, the Vikings are looking for a cornerback. That'd be the team that you need to jump to secure that. Um, and when you look at Lovey Smith's defense, Lovey said that they can't play the kind of football they want to play until they get better at that position. Did they get significantly better with Steven Nelson? Not significantly. They got better, but that position could be secured for a long time with Derek Stingley, who had a lot of special teams play and is also dealing with an injury. So Casario might be talking about him too, but he looks a lot better. Uh, I think he'll play once the season begins. He's said that his Liz Frank injury is good um, and that he he performed well at his pro day. So it looks like he's available to play this year. So if they're training up for anybody, I think those are the types they go for. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they end up going there. Um, I think um, eventually we'll see uh, – them go through. And, and the other thing about the trades, I think when you look at Casario's history, you, it's not, you don't have to look very long. Last year, they traded up to get Nico Collins in the third round. I think when you look at all of their picks that they have um, this year, it's, it's mostly in the third and fourth rounds. And they have two third round picks, two fourth round picks. Is that enough to trade to go around in the first round? Probably not. But we did some research. It's in the story that was published over the weekend about um, how Casario and the Texans built a draft board. I was surprised by how poorly the Patriots performed in terms of other averages with NFL teams by picking players in the third and fourth rounds in terms of finding all pros, pro bowlers, starters, just contributors. Um, you know, they, they didn't have many of those picks, but even whenever they did, like just per the percentages, it spoke to the difference in how difficult it can be beyond the first and second round. I mean, we're talking, you know, the average NFL team, whenever they pick a player in the first round, that person could be a starter or primary starter for at least half their career, 80% of the time, 75% of the time. Um, you know, once you get to the third round, that drops to 37%. So it's, it's tough. And I don't think any, that's a surprise to anybody. That's just some numbers there. But I think whenever they're willing to part with some of the draft picks they have, I think it'll be more in the mid rounds because they've got six first round picks out of the Deshaun Watson deal. You know, the three they had, the three that they added. We were talking about Debo Samuel earlier. If you trade two first round picks, you've used a third of that capital on one player. There's so many needs on this team and they can address those. And you've got a pretty high percentage of landing a starter. I mean, that's 80, you know, we're talking 75, 80%. So that's a high need. And over the past next couple of years, once they start feeling more like they're prepared to make that jump, I think they will. But um, I, I see it almost seems like there's everybody's looking to sell and not very many people looking to buy. The Texans might be a buyer at 13, uh, but I think they use those picks more than they try and lose them. Yeah, they need depth and talent across the board. I I, I know it has to the draft has to start to change for this year for the Texans. I was I'll be writing about this setting up the draft, but you start going back and looking, and granted, you know, Nick Casario's in his second year, so he had nothing to do with 2020 and 19 and 18, but you had people you know, still in the organization that were there. Texans have not drafted, and Pro Bowler isn't the be-all, end-all, especially nowadays, but you have to be pretty good. You have to be decent. You have to be you know, good to make the Pro Bowl. Uh, the Texans have not drafted, outside of Deshaun Watson, who's no longer a Texan, a Pro Bowler. Since 2015, that was Bernard McKinney, who was only for one year. They moved on from him. Then you have to go back to Clowney. So, so you know, as, as much as, you know, Clowney didn't work out at number one, uh, it was – they've really only had two strong picks, two picks that really made an impact 
and the franchise. And and Clowney's no longer with the team, obviously. Deshaun Watson isn't isn't with the team. So it has to start to change this year. They need help across the board. And I will continue to come back to this because having looked at this and researched this, it it just it comes, you know, you you have to be lucky, you have to be smart, you have to be forward thinking, all these things. You can pick the best player, it doesn't work out. Luck and injury are a huge part of it. But what always ends up happening is historically, you look back and you're like, my God, you know, Aaron Donald was was sitting there. Khalil Mack was sitting there. Uh, th- there's going to be, you know, it, for me, it's interesting in that with the Texans, I'm not a Davis Mills believer yet because I don't have anything to believe in. But will we look back in three or five years and say, I'm not saying that we're going to, but will we look back and say, oh, my gosh, Malik Willis was sitting there and the Texans could have had, you know, no, they're not going to. They're not going to draft him right now. I mean, that's that's a 0.001% chance. But that's how it ends up working with the draft, which is why, for me, it ends up coming back to talent. I, I Position, talking cornerback or whatever, they need this. I refuse to believe that for the Texans. If they're going to get this right, you have to take the best available talent at, the best, at, at, at that time. And if you're going to trade up and give away a future second rounder, I don't care. They need the talent. Yeah, you put it well in your column, KISS. I mean, this is a situation where they need to fix the fundamentals. And I was talking to one former executive last week, and um, you know, a couple others, and, and that would have would talk talk about how they build draft boards. And part of it is who's going to make the most impact on the things that you care about most on the team. And we every time you hear the Texans talk, it's about field position, it's about impacting field position, um, penalties, and such. But and Lovey Smith said at the league meetings that they both him and Casario share the philosophy of building at the interior on the offensive line, defensive line. You can look back and say, oh, Malik Willis, they should have picked them. But there's nothing in this draft right now that makes that a full certainty at all. So, you know that you need offensive linemen, you know that you need defensive linemen. I mean, if they come out of three and 13, picking an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman out of the out of the draft here or reaching for a corner. um, I think those are needs that are pretty well spoken for and whether those turn out, I mean, they, they went and made, um, made the picks that they needed to make. So we'll see how that all shakes out. We'll have more stories that we lead up to Thursday's draft and the time after that. So, uh, plenty to talk about. And again, uh, you can find me at Brooks Cabana at B K U B E N A. I'm at Cron Brian Smith at C H R O N Brian Smith. Thanks for reading, listening and watching.